0: Listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits.
1: My wife, Amelia, has this amazing, delicious recipe for beef stew that one time almost killed us. Uh, We had come home after a day of work, and it was about this time of year, cool fall evening, and uh, she cubed up the beef and chopped up the vegetables and put in all the seasonings and puts this pot on the stove and it's just simmering there and the steam's curling out and the aroma of this beef stew is filling the house and we're getting hungrier and hungrier and, and then she comes to uh, open it up and it's finally time to eat it and she dips the ladle in and, and serves it and we take the first bite of this stew and we both almost spit it out of our mouths. Somehow the ratio or the proportion of pepper got mixed up And we ended up with about four or five times as much black pepper as there was supposed to be in this pot of stew. It was inedible. And we were gagging and coughing and drinking water. And it looked beautiful. It smelled delicious. But it was no good at all. And you all have probably had some similar experience like that. Something that looked good on the outside. Something that seemed like it was healthy, appropriate, nourishing, but it was not what it appeared to be. Uh, Pastor Nathan and Claire had to put a roof on their house not long ago because the previous owners had simply put a new layer of shingles over a bad roof structure. The, The previous owners had simply slapped some shingles on to make it look good for a quick sale, but hadn't actually solved the problem in the house, and if it hadn't been addressed The roof could have collapsed. Maybe you bought a car that looked good on the outside and it ran really well until you drove it off the lot and then you found out there were all kinds of problems and the engine's chugging and it's not even safe to have on the road. We tend to expect that what we see is what we get, right? If it looks like a duck and it sounds like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck... It's probably a duck, except what if it's a really good fake duck? Because that's the thing, right? Do we have any bird hunters in here? Any fishermen? Decoys, lures, right? Like we create things intentionally to look good and look appetizing, but that can actually lead to destruction. And that's what Jesus is kind of getting at in this passage that we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 7. He's recognizing the fact that you know, like we like quick answers and easy solutions and easy decisions. This person is really gifted, therefore they must be a good person. This person is teaching the truth about Jesus, therefore they must know and love Jesus. God's doing amazing, huge things in their lives and in their ministry, therefore God must be pleased with them. But Jesus is actually warning us. About teachers and leaders who look good on the outside, who who say and do one thing, maybe even the right things, but they're not what they seem. And in fact, they may lead themselves and the people who follow them to destruction. I, I think what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, look carefully at who's teaching you to avoid disaster. Look carefully. And who's teaching you to avoid disaster? Uh, Jesus has, uh, in this Sermon on the Mount, this longest, most famous extended teaching of Jesus, has just talked about two paths with two different outcomes. And and he says there's there's a hard, narrower way that leads to destruction. And few people find it. There's a broad uh, that leads to life and there's a broad and an easy path that leads to destruction and many people head that way. And, and Jesus wants us to understand there is there's joy, there's life, there's fulfillment in following his narrow way in contrast to the broad path that actually diminishes life and ends up more costly and more destructive, but it doesn't look that way. And that's why Jesus is speaking about this danger of false prophets. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 15. I I think that's why Jesus is drawing this connection. He's coming out of this teaching on this commandment to love others as we love ourselves and to beware that that's the narrow path that leads to life in contrast to the broad path that may lead to destruction because there's a choice in front of us. And there are lots of loud, attractive voices that may encourage us to actually go the wrong way. Just as there were false prophets all throughout the Old Testament and there were false teachers in Jesus' day that he's warning people against, it's a danger and a warning for us as well. And if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we need to be able to distinguish the true from the false. And that's what he speaks about here in verse 15 when he warns about false prophets. Remember, a prophet is somebody who claims to speak for God. It's not necessarily someone who's predicting the future. In, In the Bible, prophecy is much more about what God is saying about what's going on right now than about what's going to happen at some time down the road. And whether they use the phrasing or not, the prophet, the teacher, is essentially saying, I'm speaking for God. This is truth that you can rely on. You should believe me. You should listen to me. You should follow me. And so we would say that about anyone who preaches or teaches or leads or has a significant ministry in the church. And it's a repeated warning in the New Testament that Christians need to Be on guard so that we're not deceived, we're not led astray by false teachers, false prophets. Look carefully at who's teaching you to avoid disaster. So I want us to look at that, explore that in three things that I think Jesus is telling us about these false teachers. First, that we need to watch out for them. Second, that we need to know how to see through them. And third, we need to look beyond them. And if we can apply ourselves to these three things, we'll grow in our ability to distinguish true teaching from teaching that sounds true but isn't, and true servants of God from those who look like servants but really aren't. So, verse 15, I think Jesus is exhorting us to watch out for false prophets. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is echoing a repeated teaching of Jesus, a warning throughout the Gospels. It appears in so many New Testament letters, in Galatians and in Corinthians, and uh, it's probably in the background of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Peter warns about it. It's a major theme of John's first letter. It appears in the book of Revelation. From the very beginning of the Christian church, we hear, watch out for false prophets. So what are we looking for? How do we know? I think Jesus gives us a clue in this passage. He says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Well, we're tempted to say, now we know what to look for. We just look for ravenous wolves, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, it's actually hard to tell them apart because they're coming to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. It may not be so easy to spot them. And, you know, we might be tempted to say, oh, you know, but I really know God's word and I can I can spot heresy a uh, hundred yards out. Maybe, but maybe not with a really clever teacher because that's like the whole history of the church is the church having to sort out true from false and, and wrestling with these things. And at least judging by what we see in church history and what we see going on in the church today, maybe it's Not so easy to recognize the wolf when he comes looking like a sheep, when he comes looking like a member of the flock. And the problem is these false teachers are good at two things. They're good at pretending to be something they're not. They look like sheep. They look harmless. They go out of their way to mask themselves, to appear just like anyone else, and they're good at pretending not to be what they actually are. They're good at pretending not to be ravenous wolves. That's why it's so important to watch out for them, to be on guard, to have our spiritual wits about us. And, and I want to say here, that means I and Joey and Nathan and Tom, any of the pastors, any of the leaders, any of the teachers here, we have to be, we want to be open to questions, to questions people pointing to God's word and saying, wait a minute, I thought I heard you say it sounded like this and I'm not sure and how does that line up with what I see here? Anyone who's a faithful teacher is open to standing under the authority of God's word. And so we welcome questions and investigation and wrestling with God's word together. That's a healthy thing. Now, that doesn't mean we, you know, we're going on heresy hunts, you know, and, and you know, our whole filter is, man, I'm, I'm looking to hammer someone and I'm super suspicious all the time. No, I think we should give people the benefit of the doubt. We should assume the best about them. But we should have our eyes open, too. Because false teachers don't come with, like, big glowing neon signs, right, that say, false teacher alert and flashing lights. Like, that'd be awesome, like in a Looney Tunes cartoon or something. It doesn't work that way. They come with an appearance of faithfulness and gentleness and spirituality. And and I think the, the reference to sheep that Jesus has here points out something else significant. That's one of the Bible's most common and favorite ways for God talking about his people, that we are sheep, which as you know, is not a compliment. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are gullible. Sheep are easily misled, and they wander off, and they get lost, and they get stuck, and they can't rescue themselves. So it's not complimentary, but we are God's sheep. And if we doubt that there's danger of false teachers and come in among the sheep, I mean, all we have to do is turn on the news and it's just, man, the last years, news story after news story after news story of somebody that appeared to be godly, somebody that was well-known and famous and had a big ministry, and, and yet it turns out they were abusing the sheep. They were taking advantage of their positions. They were enriching themselves. They were abusing their authority. They were self-serving. And so Jesus here is pointing out our gullibility in a sense, how easily we can be taken in and and to prompt us to be more intentional, to look, to pay attention. Look carefully at who's teaching you to avoid disaster. Because we need to not only watch out for them, that, that leads to the second thing, we need to learn to see through them. We need to learn to discern what's really going on on the inside, to to see through the false teachers. Uh, we took our kids uh, a number of years ago when they were younger to Shed Aquarium up in Chicago. A lot of fun, right? Uh, my interest in fish is mostly limited to how it's prepared, uh, so I like grilled with a little bit of lemon, that was good. So shed Aquarium's not like my first go-to, but there was one tank that I remember that, uh, that had a fish in it that really caught my attention. It, this fish swimming around uh, in, in one of these tanks, it was totally transparent. I mean, the tank was transparent, yes, that's, that's important for a tank, otherwise it's just a box and trust us, there's a fish inside. No, the fish was transparent too literally transparent. You could see the backbone running along the top of it. You could see the cartilage. You could see its internal organs. You could see what that fish was on the inside. And thankfully, we are not fish. And thankfully, we're not transparent. That would make church super awkward, right? And work and school. Thankfully, we have skin that is not transparent, and we wear clothes. But Spiritually, I think Jesus is saying we need to learn how to see through people to discern what's on the inside. Look in verses 16 through 20. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit. Is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, uh, some commentators suggest that Jesus here may actually be referring literally to a kind of thorn bush in the Middle East, which has a small dark berry to it that from a distance looks like a grape. And it's only when you get up close and you look at what the fruit actually is that you see it's, oh, this is a thorn bush. It's not actually grapes. Those things are no good to eat. So what are these telltale signs? How do we know them by their fruit? I think there are a couple of things that are suggested by what Jesus says here. The first is to pay attention to their speech. Pay attention to what they're actually saying because if you think about it, a wolf cannot sound like a sheep forever. Eventually, you're going to find out it's a wolf if you listen closely enough. Like, think of it this way I mean, let's say I wanted to pretend I was from Colombia in South America, right? Like, I could learn Spanish, I could study the history and the culture. And, and maybe I could fool people for a while, right? Like I just start speaking Spanish all the time and I have all these facts about Colombia and South America. But eventually the mask is going to drop, right? Like I can't keep it up indefinitely because I'm going to get startled or I'm going to lose my focus and English is going to pop out and, or they're going to hear what I'm saying in Spanish and realize that sounds like a way an American who learned Spanish would say something. The false teacher will eventually give them away. So we're listening for what they say and what they don't say. And and here's what I mean by that. You can find people with huge followings calling themselves Christian, but they never mention the most significant thing about what it means to be a Christian, which is the cross of Jesus. Jesus. The cross of Christ is why he came. It was the center of his mission and his identity. And you can find people with thousands or ten thousands of followers who never talk about the cross of Christ and, and the significance of it. Listen to, to the, the preachers maybe that, that are on TV or that are you know, popular books or whatever. And they may have ideas about how to live a fulfilling life, how to succeed, how to, how to improve yourself morally but they never actually talk about the cross and and what it means. That's somebody who has lost the very center of who Jesus is and what it means to know him. And some teachers may mention the cross, but there's very little mention of life under the cross. Life in light of the cross. Because the gospel of Jesus teaches us that when we come to faith in Christ, we are laying down, we are dying to an old life in order to live to a new life. The Christian life is a, is a conflict, Jesus tells us, against indwelling sin and temptation. And, and we share in his dying and rising to new life. And it's a life that is joyful and fulfilling and alive and self-giving, but we die continuously to ourselves in order to live to Jesus, our whole Christian life. That is what it means to know Jesus. And you won't hear false teachers telling you to die to yourself in order to find life. You won't hear a call to radical, self-giving love and humility. You won't hear a call to Righteousness and holiness and obedience to the Father. You may hear mention of the cross, but for some people that means it's just that the cross is a tool. It's a means to health and wealth and success. You'll hear subtle encouragements to please yourself and take pride in yourself. It's not not what they say. It's not what they don't say, what they omit. It's also about their character. When Jesus is talking about fruit, he's saying, look at their lives. Because inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. What are they hungry for? They're hungry for you, they're hungry for God's people. They're, they're not there, though, that God's children may be fed. They're there so that they can feed on God's children. You become the tools to their fulfillment and their satisfaction and their advancement. The ministry of the false prophet will always have this sense that, it, that it's about him. It's about his ministry, his advancement, his notoriety, his praise, his recognition, his, his advancement, his position. George Whitfield was... Uh, well known English preacher and evangelist in the 1700s, and, and he wrote one time, May the name of Whitfield perish, but may the name of Jesus Christ live forever. No false teacher is going to say that. They, they set themselves to, to be set apart, to be lifted up because of their giftedness or their importance. The wolf is not there to serve God's people, the wolf is there to use God's people to advance his purposes in himself. Listen to a teacher, listen to a leader, listen to a preacher, and ask themself, ask this question, does this person love me? That's a very humbling and convicting question for me to encourage you to ask, because I know I don't love people the way God wants me to, and none of us do, So the question is not, does this person love me as well as Jesus does? But at the heart of this person's life and ministry, do you have a sense that this person loves me? That they want God's best for me? That they are with me? That they are for me? That that they are teaching me God's truth because they care for me? If that's not true, then we might suspect there's the heart of a wolf lurking in there somewhere. Because it's not just the words that come out, it's, it's the character that comes out. The character of the wolf is to consume for his own good, and the character of a shepherd is to lay down his life for the sheep. Ministry done Jesus' way is always self-denying, self-humbling, serving God's people. And so Jesus is saying we need to look through those teachers to see what's really on the inside. To look carefully at who's teaching you to avoid destruction. And then finally, we need to look beyond them. Look beyond them. Here's what I mean by that. You guys remember the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Uh, I come from a German heritage, so I like, you know, the more gruesome Grimm Brothers version where uh, the wolf doesn't just throw Grandma in a cupboard, right? He gobbles her up. I mean, the Germans, these were like some metal tails that the Germans had. But the wolf gets rid of Granny and takes her place on the bed, and Little Red Riding Hood comes in and notices something isn't right. My, what big eyes you have, Granny. Instead of thinking through that to say, huh, I wonder if that actually is my grandmother, and if it's not, maybe I should do something about it. No, she just keeps going on. My, what big hands you have, what bad breath you have, what sharp teeth you have. And at some point, we keep thinking, like, is she going to connect the dots? Like, look forward. The the path is you're going to end up the wolf's meal. And she would have if the woodsman hasn't, you know, like broken through and you know, again, in typical German fashion, chop the wolf up into little bits. But that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at. He's saying you need to look beyond what you see right now to where this is heading, where this will take you if it continues down this path. Where is this going to head? Where is this going to end up? Look in verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on that day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do mighty works? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Jesus does not mean to frighten believers. That's not his point. He's not threatening sheep, but he's meaning to awaken those who profess faith in him but don't actually have faith in him. He wants to stir up everyone who knows about Jesus without actually knowing him. The Bible often warns that false teachers can perform wonders. I mean, we see it in Egypt. We see it over and over again. You know, so that's not a surprise. I mean, we don't understand why and how these things happen, but, but it's there. But the other warning that he gives here is that we as followers of Jesus can sometimes focus wrongly on those impressive events, on these gifts, on these amazing things. And Paul reminds us in his letter to the Corinthians, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, if I have faith that can move mountains, if I can fathom all mysteries, and I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm like a clanging gong, a broken cymbal. And we're impressed at big and noisy, right? That just grabs our attention. When, when you go to the pool, what do you notice? What do you, what do you hear? What do you see? The, the, the kid that's doing the big cannonball off the high dive, right? You don't pay any attention to the guy over in the lap lane who's, you know, making no noise and just, you know, racking up a mile, a mile and a half. We don't pay any attention to the maintenance crew that's keeping the deck clean and keeping the pool safe for us to swim in. Splash and noise get our attention, but they're not a reliable indicator of what's important or of actual faithfulness. Jesus is saying don't be impressed by outward appearances. Don't put too much stock in people's gifts or, or we could say even in their results because there are big results here. Look at their heart, look at their character, look at the outcome of their life and their teaching." Because Jesus is going to say to some of those false teachers on the day of judgment, when he, as God, will judge all, I never knew you. Which, of course, does not literally mean he had no awareness of their existence. He's God. He's the judge. He knows who they are. He's saying, I never knew you as my child. You were not a part of my family. You did not put your faith in me. You were not one of my sheep. But to those who do love and follow him, remember Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And what Jesus says to those who are not his sheep is depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. From the beginning, from the garden, that's the outcome, the natural consequence of rejecting the father and turning away from him. If you don't want me, God says, you don't have to have me. But the most horrible and terrible and serious thing anyone could hear or experience is to have God, the source of all life and joy and light and good, say, depart from me. Jesus is saying Christian behavior, Christian activity can be counterfeited. Giving, worship, praying in public, teaching, leading. You don't have to have Christian character to do those things. The fruit is not the results. It's not even the activity. It's mostly heart and character. Does this person love Jesus and want Jesus and want to draw people to Jesus more than anything? And, and it, it maybe suggests we should be asking when, when you think about the impact that this teacher, that this teaching is having on me, is it leading me to Christ? Is it leading me to love and follow Jesus more and to look more like him? Is it full of grace? Is it showing me the way of Jesus' cross? Is, is it grace and truth combined? Because if it's not, I need to look ahead and see that it may crush me. It may lead me to destruction. I need to look beyond the immediate, beyond what looks impressive right now to really think about what is this person really modeling and encouraging me to look like? Look carefully at who's teaching you to avoid disaster, Jesus says. So what do we do do with this? A few suggestions for application. Um, One, Jesus actually expects us to do what he said. Jesus actually expects us to do what he said. I mean, it sounds simple, but, it, but it's right there. We can subtly start to think that it's enough to agree with Jesus. Oh, yes, I agree that I should be loving and kind and forgiving and patient and humble. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, you actually need to trust me and follow me and let me empower you to take steps to actually be humble and forgiving and patient and loving and gracious and kind. Jesus is talking to us as his sheep because remember he's saying every tree Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. If we really know him, we will obey him. We'll not just agree that it's a good idea to love and forgive and pray and serve. We'll actually do it with his help, with his empowerment. Second, I I think Jesus is suggesting we should probably be a little more suspicious of popularity. Because we live in a very consumeristic culture that, that identifies Success with truth and significance, right? A product's value is directly related to the number of people who buy it or use it or consume it. I mean, we're just bombarded with that message all the time, right? 10,000 people can't be wrong. Nine out of 10 doctors agree. Well, it must be true then. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, go argue with your doctor. A different note. Sorry, forget I said that. Strike that. We live in a culture in which truthfulness and trustworthiness is just simply based on how many people are doing it. And Jesus is saying the way is narrow and the gate is small that leads to life and there are few that find it. We could roughly say that Jesus is more focused on faithfulness than effectiveness, at least as the world defines it, as our culture defines it. Beware of the attraction of the big and the splashy and the shiny and the popular, Jesus is saying, because these people are doing big, splashy, amazing things they don't actually know him. Third, our character matters more than our accomplishments. We are culturally conditioned also to assess people's character by their outcomes. We wrongly assume that an effective leader must be a godly leader. Throughout this sermon, but but especially here, Jesus is looking for fruit that's defined really more by character than by accomplishments. I mean, think about it. He's focused on things like anger and lust and greed and love of notoriety and anxiety and all of it and contrasting it with love and peace and humility and kindness and patience and gentleness and faithfulness over the long haul. And then fourth, I think we'd say we should be more focused on our life with God then than our work for him. And what I mean by that is the work for him always has to come out of our life with him. If we're focused on the fruit and and what we want God to produce out of us, we're not actually focused on nurturing our life in him. We're going to be producing the wrong kind of fruit. Jesus cares more about the depth of our rootedness in him, and then allowing him to grow the fruit and the life out of that relationship. Because good trees produce good fruit, and good trees are the ones that are connected to Jesus. And then knowing a leader's life, knowing a leader's quality takes time and commitment. Right? All this highlights the downside, the dangers of following big names and popular ministries. And, and I am not saying don't take advantage of all the wonderful resources that are out there. I benefit from them. I hope you do. There are a lot of great people to learn from. And, and what an amazing age we live in where we can take advantage to, to all these wonderful resources. But be careful because you cannot be discipled. You can't be shepherded by somebody that you don't know and who doesn't know you. And and then finally, I think that suggests that we give the biggest voice in our lives to the people who are the closest. Give the biggest presence in our lives to the people who are the closest because they know you and you know them. How else am I going to know if that person's fruit is actually good and trustworthy if the only way I see them is through a screen and they're a thousand miles from me? Anyone can look good over a screen from a thousand miles away, even me. I mean, that's crazy, right? You've got to be up close. You've got to watch them over time. You actually have to know them and, and have a life together with them. The people that I know, the ones who are close to me, are they encouraging me not just to do things for Jesus, but to grow in knowing and following and loving Jesus? Am I following and looking to people whose lives don't just reflect impressive gifts but character that Jesus has pictured here in this message. And then finally, the most important thing, make sure you're on the right path and you're listening to the right people. Jesus doesn't tell us to redouble our efforts to work harder. I mean, he's he's warning us against vain activity. But he also warns us that there is going to be a day of judgment where every tree that is not connected to him and not producing good fruit is going to face God's judgment. No one will evade God's justice forever. Bad trees, trees that bear no fruit, are cut down and thrown into the fire. But Jesus is telling us that, not just to examine others, but to examine ourselves, to watch ourselves, because many people attend church. They pray, they give, they serve, but they don't actually know Jesus. Is that you? Don't let it be so. Come to Jesus today. How do we do that? It's it's as simple as humble repentance and putting your faith in Jesus. it's saying first, I'm a sinner because a sin is more than a mistake. It's acknowledging I have wronged and disobeyed God. And it's not just something I do every once in a while. It's who I am. I have a problem that I cannot solve. To call myself a sinner is saying these wrongs are not accidents. They're who I am. But Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all of us sinners. He can save us because he's God and he has the power to save and he can save us because he's also the God-man who came and gave his life on the cross to take on himself the full weight, the penalty that all of our sin deserves as a gift that he offers to all who will receive it in faith and trust and humility. And he died to show that he has power over our death to give us new life, and he will save all who come to him, who come to him and claim him as Lord and Savior. We admit our need to be saved. We, we acknowledge, we confess that he is the savior that we need and we trust him and come to him as Lord because the only way he can save us is when we lay down an old life of being in charge of ourselves and demanding that everything go my way and take Jesus and his forgiveness and his life instead. We take the hard, narrow path of trusting God and walking with him and not trusting in ourselves. We choose Jesus because he is the truth and the way and the life. We have to choose between two paths and two kinds of teachers or leaders and make sure that we're listening to people who will actually lead us to life in Jesus. Look carefully at who's teaching you to avoid disaster. Because Jesus wants to lead you to life. That's his message to you today. And that's the message of this table, this Lord's table that we come to now. In a few moments, the ushers, the servers are going to come and distribute the elements, the simple bread and the cup, that picture and remind us and reinforce for all who have trusted in Jesus that he is the Savior. It points us to his death and his resurrection in our place and for us. It is God's gift for all who know and trust Jesus. And I pray that that's true of you today. If you don't know that that's true, oh, come to Jesus today and let this table be God's invitation to you to receive Jesus' forgiveness and his life And for all God's people to reassure and remind us that we belong to him and we listen to him and follow him all the way to life because he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, that you love us enough to warn us, but not just warn us, to actually save us through Jesus. Oh, God, may that be true of us. May we be encouraged and strengthened and nourished in our faith as we receive the bread and the cup today that remind us of Jesus' sacrifice. Oh, help us all to trust in him, to give our lives to him and receive his life in return. Bless us, Father, as we
0: come to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.